Because you see, in these meals, Jesus almost always begins these meals as the guest. And then within minutes, Jesus is the host. And then within minutes, he's the meal. He's the bread. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this message from Soli Church. Our prayer is that this message would be a blessing and resource for you. But no sermon or podcast can ever take the place of being connected to a local church. If you're in or around the Ventura County area, we would love for you to join us. You can find when and where we're meeting by visiting solelychurch.com. S-O-L-I church.com. Rest in Jesus, Christian. All right, Soli Church. Today we finally begin the Gospel of Luke, so turn with me to Luke chapter 13. Before we begin a look at the trees, we're going to do a flyover like a Chinese satellite hovering over the forest before we get down and start walking through the forest. I just couldn't not let that happen this morning. Uh, Double negative there. Luke chapter 13 in our flyover today of the entire Gospel of Luke in one sermon. Verse 29 and 30. Jesus said, and people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. Behold, some who are last, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. That's the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Our God in heaven, as we come to the gospel of Luke, as we submit ourselves to this gospel for the next number of years, we pray, Lord, that as we inhabit the Gospel of Luke here at Soli and the Gospel of Luke inhabits us, that what is true of this Gospel would become true of us, that the character of this Gospel will become the character of Soli, that, what, that the Jesus that we see here would be the Jesus that we follow here at Soli, that the way of the kingdom in the Gospel of Luke would be the way of the kingdom here at Soli. That the discipleship that we see in the Gospel of Luke would be the discipleship here at Soli. It is your will now that we embark through the Gospel of Luke. And I pray, Lord, that we would be as Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, saying to him, Speak, O Lord, for our ears are open. In Jesus' name we pray. And amen. You know, at Soli Church, we recognize our limitations as a church, our place, our purpose, which just so happens to exactly align with Luke's telling of the gospel. This should be familiar to you. The language at Soli is very much the language of the gospel of Luke. The life at Soli is very much the life that we see in the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke gifts Jesus to us. The Gospel of Luke gifts Jesus to us whose friendship and hospitality welcomes the least of these 
to his table companionship and his kingdom of rest. The Jesus we find in the Gospel of Luke is one who is intent on being the friend of sinners and who extends a hospitality to all of the wrong people because he welcomes them to his table of companionship and his kingdom of rest. Jesus unfolds this for us in the verse that we read in Luke 13, verse 29, by telling us what the future kingdom will look like. Verse 29, this is what the future kingdom will look like. This is what our end is. This is where all of history is going. This is the story that we are participating in. And people will come from east and west and north and south, which means all over the globe. They will come into the kingdom of God. And what will they find there? They will find a table there. A table there. But a table to recline. A table of rest. A table in which Christ himself is the very servant. That's where this whole thing is going. The kingdom of God is moving inexorably towards a table, towards a feast, towards a meal full of the people of God gathered from among the nations. But it's not just a future thing. The way Jesus is going to bring people to this future kingdom table is by bringing them to other tables now, you see. That's what the Gospel of Luke is about. You get invited to a table now, which gets you to the table in the future. And the Gospel of Luke is the Gospel of table companionship with Jesus. And that table of the future actually breaks back into history and begins at our tables now and at the table now. And what's beautiful about this table is that it upsets all the other tables. All the other tables in the world and all the other kingdoms in the world are simply parodies of the kingdom of God because this kingdom is different. The people at this table are different. Verse 30 says, and behold, something different is happening here. Behold means wait, we're going to do something here that you're not ready for. Watch this. Behold, some who are last will be first, and some who are first will be last. You see, this kingdom, this table, upsets the way our world gathers people for its tables and for its kingdom. You see, this kingdom is not a kingdom of competitiveness. Listen, there's a place for competitiveness, okay? I love to coach basketball, and the other night I got pulled out of the stands and was able to help and coach our 7th and 8th grade Beacon Hill basketball team. So if you want to wonder whether or not I can be competitive, just watch me on the basketball sideline, and that will show you that I, I can be. And I believe in the appropriate place of competitiveness at the right time and in the right way. But not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not a place of competitiveness it is not a place of jockeying. It is not, not a place of getting to the front or being first. It is not a place of status. It is a place that reverses that. Where some of the last are first and some of the first 
our last, you see. This is a kingdom of reversals. It's an unexpected table. It's a surprise kingdom, both now and in the future. The people that are there are the kinds of people that we would think, you shouldn't, how did you get in here? Some of you should be thinking that about yourselves. How did I get in here? How did I get welcome as a table companion of the Lord Jesus Christ? Why would Jesus saddle up next to me and say, I'm going to make you my friend, and I'm going to break bread with you, knowing you all the way through. You see, the beauty of the Gospel of Luke is that when we get to those wonderful genealogies that we love so much, we find that the genealogy in Luke doesn't stop like Mark does in Isaiah (laughs) and say, well, this is about the prophetic kingdom. It doesn't stop with David and Abraham like Matthew's genealogy does and saying this is about the fulfillment of Israel's scriptures. No, the genealogy in Luke goes all the way back to Adam. Adam, son of God. All the way back because what Luke is telling us is that his gospel and the table companionship of Jesus And the salvation that Jesus came to bring is not simply for an exclusive race of men. It is for all who are in Adam, you see. As a matter of fact, at the end of the Gospel of Luke, it's this beautiful arc in which the genealogy goes back to Adam. And then when Jesus gives the commission in Luke 24 to his disciples, he says, take this message and bear witness to it among all the nations of the earth. And then right here in our passage is people from the north, the south, the east, and the west. In other words, this is a gospel for all men, for all times. Luke is presenting to us good news for all of God's people and for all of God's creation. The people who we would not normally think of, this reaches to them, to the very shepherds keeping watch in their fields This gospel says, for unto you is born this day. For you, shepherds, for you, shepherds, is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. For you, outcast shepherds, for you, shepherds who cannot be trusted even in a court of law, for you, charlatan shepherds, whom people push to the edge and make you work at night because they want you to sleep during the daytime because they don't want to be around you during the daytime because you're shysters. That's why. That's the way you do business. Jesus says to them, a savior for you. We little Zacchaeus, the traitor of traitors, climbs a tree so that he can see Jesus And the Pharisees, after Jesus goes to the home of Zacchaeus, the Pharisees are apoplectic. What are you doing with the traitor? What are you doing with the tax collector? What are you doing in his house? And Jesus says, look, I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. And Zacchaeus was lost was lost in the world of money, lost in the world of stuff, lost in the world of power, lost in the world of prestige. 
He was lost in that world and he had become the greatest of traitors to his people. And Jesus says, this is who I am coming for. I've come to seek and to save the lost. That's who I'm after. But it's more than that, you see, because what Adam, and this goes back to the genealogy, what Adam unleashed on the world was not simply original sin that we have. He unleashed a fall that broke everything in creation. And so Jesus didn't just come to restore fallen sinners. He didn't just come to seek and save the lost. As a matter of fact, in chapter 1, when Mary is receiving the news of her son from the angel Gabriel, this is what the angel Gabriel says to Mary. He will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. You see, Jesus came not only to bring salvation to fallen Adams, he came to bring a kingdom on the earth. A kingdom on the earth that would spread as far out as the curse is found. As a matter of fact, Jesus acknowledges that what this is, is that he has come to bring into creation what the Jubilee year was for Israel. That year in which all debts were canceled. That year in which freedom was proclaimed to the captives. That year in which not only did persons gain their freedom, okay? This is very important, okay? In the Jubilee, not only did slaves and persons and families gain their freedom in the Jubilee year, but so did the land. It was people and land, you see. It was all of creation that received this Jubilee, this rest that, that, the, that, the, that was promised to them in that 50th year. Well, Jesus says, I have come not only to seek and save the lost and not only bring a kingdom, I have come to bring the jubilee. I have come to bring the release of the captives and the restoration of everything bound by the sinfulness of the first Adam. Chapter 4, Jesus says this in his hometown before he gets run out. From Isaiah, he proclaims the jubilee. And he says this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set, listen, and to set at liberty to bring freedom and release to those who are oppressed. And then this beautiful line, I have come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I've come to bring God's favor into everything that is broken in the world and to begin to save it and to begin to redeem it and to begin to restore it. That is why Jesus has come into the world. And the question for us is, how does Jesus go about doing this? How does Jesus go about seeking and saving the lost? 
How does Jesus go about bringing his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven? And how does Jesus go about enacting the jubilee and releasing people from the chains that bind them and the chains that bind creation? How does Jesus do this? And the answer is surprising. We're expecting some dramatic invasion. We're expecting some bombastic action. But in the Gospel of Luke, the way in which Jesus seeks and saves the lost, the way in which Jesus brings this kingdom from heaven to earth, it starts all these reversals. The way in which Jesus brings the year of Jubilee in which the release begins to happen. The way Jesus does this in the Gospel of Luke is simply through ordinary table fellowship. It rocks us back a little bit. We are, we're expecting more, Jesus. What do you mean? What do you mean that the site in which all of this salvation and all of this renewal and all of this rest and all of this release, you mean to tell me that all of this is taking place at a meal? At a table? Like with food? Yes. Yes. That's what Jesus is saying. So much so that Jesus in the Gospel of Luke welcomes this as his mission statement. And he relishes the reputation that goes with it. Turn with me to Luke chapter 7. I can't wait till we get here um, in our sermon series, Luke 7, 2025 maybe, um, but uh, at least I can at least expose it to you now. In Luke chapter 7, right before Jesus has a meal with one of the Pharisees, that great meal with that woman who comes a woman of the street, a woman of the night comes and begins to perform her action on Jesus in the only way that she knows how to do this, which everybody understood what was happening. Before that meal, okay, Jesus is engaged in a little bit of a, a, a verbal exchange with his, those opposed to him. And Jesus is telling his disciples and telling those in opposition to him, here's my reputation. Here's the way people see me. Here's the way people understand my mission, okay? Starting in verse 33, for John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, Jesus says, he has a demon. And now here's the reputation that Jesus has from his enemies. Oh, that Jesus? Oh, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking. How'd you like that for a t-shirt? I've never seen a Christian t-shirt say that before. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. Because it's too common for us. It's too ordinary for us. There's no, there's no lights. There's no smoke machines. Right? There's no strobe. There's no dance. The Son of Man, watch this, has come eating and drinking, and then here's what, the, the, here's what Jesus' enemies say of him. And you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard. All this guy Jesus does is go from table to table. He's eating all the time. He's drinking all the time. 
And look at the people he hangs out with, scumbuckets. He's eating and drinking with the scumbuckets. He's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. You don't want to know what Jesus' response to this reputation and understanding of his kingdom and understanding of how he seeks and saves the lost? You want to know how Jesus responds to being a glutton and a drunkard who eats and drinks all the time with all of the wrong people? The response of Jesus is, yep, that's who I am and that's what I'm doing. As a matter of fact, look at what he says in verse 35. He says, yet wisdom is justified by all her children. This is exactly what I'm doing. And this is the wisdom of God being vindicated on display. Because you want to know why? Those tax collectors and sinners that you say that I eat with, they're the very ones I came for. So I'm doing exactly what I came to do. Doing exactly what I came to do. And I'm glad you see it. Because wisdom is being vindicated at these very tables. And that it's going to be vindicated five minutes later at this table when this woman of the night gets converted and becomes a friend of Jesus. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. Sinners gather around Jesus at the table. And Jesus provides the space for them at the table to repent and to turn to him. Turn back to chapter 5. This is so good. Chapter 5. In chapter 5, this is right after Jesus calls another enemy, another traitor, Matthew, Levi, to leave everything and follow him. So Levi only knows one thing he should do, and that is to throw a feast. Look at Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 29. And Levi made him, that's Jesus, a great feast in his house. (laughs) And there was a large company of tax collectors. You want to make a Pharisee go apoplectic, gather a large company of tax collectors together in the same house. And others, meaning others of the kind, were reclining at the table. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled. You all, listen, church, you always know you're doing something right when self-righteous people grumble, okay? You're nailing the kingdom when the self-righteous grumble. And almost at every one of these meals that Jesus is at, there's somebody grumbling, somebody in opposition to him and to the people that he's spending time with and to the meal that he's at, to the place that he's at, to the company that he's keeping. And so they just asked Jesus straight up, Verse 30, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? What are you doing? We're looking for you to overthrow the Roman Empire. We're looking for you to take us and ascend us to be the great kingdom of the world. You've got to get away from these tables and these wrecks of people. we got a kingdom to bring in to overthrow the Romans. What are you doing? And Jesus says this, those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Let me say something here, church, it's very important. Jesus doesn't just sit at these tables with people to leave them as they are. The encounter with Jesus 
changes them forever. The encounter with Jesus changes them forever. So Jesus sits at table not to leave them where they are, but to lead them to repentance, which means it's a turning to him and a turning away from what was keeping them from him all along. You see, church, those are just two meal things we've looked at in five and seven right there, and then a fact that the whole trajectory of the entire history of the world is heading towards a table. We might say that the Gospel of Luke, here's a phrase from um, Dr. Lightheart, which I love so much. He says, we might say that the Gospel of Luke is a movable feast, a movable feast. The Gospel of Luke moves from table to table, The Gospel of Luke is a progression of meals. As a matter of fact, there's a commentator named Robert Karras who wrote a commentary called Eating Your Way Through Luke's Gospel. That's what it's called. And here's what what Karras says. He says, in Luke, Jesus is either leaving a meal, at a meal, or he's on his way to a meal, or he's speaking of meals. So you can't, in Luke, you can't get away from it, okay? And as a matter of fact, if you want to go and you want to arc the whole thing, and I gave this to Pastor Noyes on Friday, I shouldn't have given it away. If you want to arc the whole thing, Luke starts in a feeding trough and ends in a fish fry. All right? That's just the way it is. Starts in a feeding trough and it ends in a fish fry. And everything in between there is Jesus simply moving from feast to feast, from table to table, all the way through the Gospel of Luke. As a matter of fact, in the Gospel of Luke, there are over 17 teaching blocks that include meals directly. You think Jesus got food on his mind? Feasting on his mind, the table on his mind? Not only are there over 17 teachings that include meals directly, there are countless echoes and allusions to food and feasting all the way throughout the Gospel of Luke. And as a matter of fact, the Gospel of Luke is structured, the structure of Luke, the literary structure of Luke is structured around 10 meal events that work their way through, that Jesus works his way through. He progresses through these 10 meal events in the Gospel of Luke. And five of these meal events are only in the Gospel of Luke. They're not in the other Gospels at all. Because Luke is seeing things and seeing the kingdom and seeing the mission of Jesus through the eyes of the table manners and the table fellowship of Jesus. For those of you taking notes, we might say that in the Gospel of Luke, God's love is a delectable feast. God's love is a feast. Let me give you the 10 meals just so that we can put them out there so that you can see this. Once we get through the, the infancy narratives and the genealogy, and then of course there is a meal issue because Satan and Jesus have a meal event because uh, command these stones to become bread. We're already starting with bread in chapter four. Then as soon as we get to chapter five, we just, it's meals galore, okay? So in chapter five, Jesus has a banquet at Levi's house. In chapter seven, he has dinner at Simon the Pharisee's house. In chapter nine, Jesus breaks bread for 5,000. Chapter 10, Jesus is on the hospitality end of the house of Mary and Martha. In chapter 11, there's a noon meal at a Pharisee's house. In chapter 14, there's a Sabbath dinner at a Pharisee's house. In chapter 19, there's the hospitality at the house of Zacchaeus. In chapter 22, there's the upper room Passover and communion. 
In chapter 24, there's the breaking of bread on the road to Emmaus. And in chapter 24, at the very end, there's a fish fry with the disciples. From chapter 5 all the way to the end of the Gospel of Luke, we simply move through a progression of feasts. A progression of feasts where Jesus is seeking and saving the lost. A progression of feasts that are the site of the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. And a feast and a table where Jesus is enacting the jubilee and the release of all those who are caught in their sin and need to be released from it. But there's more. Because you see, in these meals, Jesus almost always begins these meals as the guest. And then within minutes, Jesus is the host. And then within minutes, he's the meal. He's the bread. He's the bread of life being offered. Because you say Jesus, when he was confronted by Satan, command these stones to become bread. And what did Jesus say? Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. See, bread is not just bread. Bread is life. The reason why bread is life is because Christ is life and Christ is bread. That's why. And so you see all of this coming together at these tables was about Jesus flipping the script and becoming the host (laughs) and then flipping the script and becoming the food for the souls and the lives of those who are there. But it even goes further than that. I want you to look with me at chapter 12 for a moment. I'm going to make sure when the time comes for us to preach that I get this passage. Because <laughs> I handle the preaching calendar and I'll, I'll, I'll be wrestling the floor for this one. This is just one of those passages that you just almost can't get over about Jesus. Luke 12, 35. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at at once when he comes and knocks. Watch verse 37. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Blessed are those who Jesus finds awake when he comes. Why? What is Jesus going to do? This is just astonishing. This, is, this, this, this wrecks your Christian life in all the right ways. Look at what it says. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table, and he will come and serve them. You see, your life is bound up not with your service to Jesus Christ. Your life is bound up with the table service of Jesus to you. Jesus girds himself 
He's not only the host and he's not only the meal. Now he's the servant at the table. And he's not ashamed to gird himself. And he's not ashamed to have you recline and rest. And Jesus says, rest. I will come. I will serve you. I will come. I will feed you. I will come. I will take care of you. You see, your elders at solely believe this so much that we believe that this is what is happening in this hour and change we get together every Sunday morning. And the reason why we don't ask anything more of you than just to be here faithfully is because we believe that this is exactly what Jesus is doing during this service. He is girding himself and he is coming and he is serving you. And he serves you fully and faithfully so that you can take of what he has served you with and take it out there to those people who need your service. Jesus doesn't. The church doesn't. The church is here to serve you so that you can serve the world. Turn with me to Luke 22. If we don't get this in the parable, Jesus says it straight out at the Lord's table in Luke 22. Luke 22. In Luke 22, Jesus is at the Passover with his disciples and he has just instituted the Lord's table. And his disciples start an argument that they clearly didn't hear chapter 13 and verse 29 about the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Because after Jesus institutes the Lord's table, they start arguing about who's the greatest of them. Talk about being dolts, as we all are. So right after Jesus administers communion, here's what happens, Luke 22, 24. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them would be regarded as the greatest. It's just, it's just so great to know that we're not the only ones. <laughs> Right? Jesus has just come and just told them he's going to die on the cross and instituted communion. They're like, which one of us can get to the front? You know, it's, just, it's insane. Verse 25, and he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Watch this. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as the one who serves. For who's greater, one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? Watch this. But I am among you as the one who serves. At the Lord's table, and at our tables, we are being fed by and served by none other than Jesus Christ. He is the one among us who serves, you see. And it's interesting in all of this as I bring it to a close, that the sight of the kingdom being the table and feasts, the sight of the table being the place where Jesus seeks and saves the lost, the sight of the table being the place where the jubilee is enacted. The one thing we don't find ourselves seeing is Jesus is not overly concerned about the culinary aspect of the table. Is there garlic or not? 
you have sriracha or not. Jesus doesn't seem to be concerning himself with that. The table occasion for Jesus is enough. It's the occasion. And it's the who is with me at the table. It's the who is with me at the table. It's to how the table is the site for which everything that Jesus came to do is not only put on display, it's actually enacted. Everything, discipleship at the table, formation at the table, kingdom at the table, jubilee at the table, mission at the table, all the reversals at the table. And listen, not just the Lord's table. It begins at the Lord's table. And then it moves out to the meals that the church has. And then it moves out to the hospitality of your home. It moves out to the coffee that you get with a brother or a breakfast that you have with a sister. It moves out to the events that we have when the ladies get together and they pray and they have a breakfast together. It moves out when we have deacon and elder meetings that make the preacher sick so he can't preach that Sunday. That's just a different story from last time I ate with the deacons and the elders. It's all those, you see. Because here's the thing. Table fellowship, we already knew, is the, thing, is the thing we do with friends. We already know this. Table fellowship is the thing we do with friends. Right? It's what we do. We extend tables to friends, you see. And so Jesus comes and he extends the table to his friends who are the lost and who are the sinners and who are the needy. And not only that, Jesus promised that this will be the way that he continues to be present with the church. The two on the road to Emmaus said this, he was made known to us in the breaking of bread. That's in Luke, the end. He was made known to us in the breaking of bread. You see, Jesus takes common ordinary meals and he makes himself known to one another in the world through them. So listen. Though not every meal is the Lord's Supper, the Lord is present at every meal. So let us keep the feast. Amen. Lord Jesus, take this sermon and seal it to us at the tables of Soli beginning at this table this morning. In Jesus' name we pray.